welcome to The World in 10, the big news stories of the day explained and analysed by The Times of London. Today with Stuart Willey and Laura Cook. Today we have the latest on the unprecedented Christmas storms in Australia. Ten people have been killed, including a nine-year-old girl. We start in Australia today, where 10 people have died as severe thunderstorms hit the states of Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. Huge hailstones, torrential rains and strong winds have blown off roofs and brought down trees. Bushfires have raged across central and western Australia. Queensland Premier Steve Miles has said the damage is off the scale. It's the first time we've ever had a concrete power pole destroyed uh, by a storm. That's that's pretty significant. That's uh, unprecedented. Certainly the scenes I saw where you didn't just have a single power line down, you had a power line down between every pole. More than 80,000 people are without power and local resident Paul Boynton says he's seen nothing like it. It was some of the strongest wind I've ever heard. So yeah, it was pretty scary. The kids were freaking out. Yeah, they were pretty nervous. Yeah. Uh, just inside, all you could hear is just all the banging and things breaking. The whole time you know that's more and more damage to the house and stuff. You can keep up to date with the latest on the storms with The Times online. Further thunderstorms were expected to hit coastal areas tomorrow with heavy rain forecast for New Year's Eve in Sydney, Brisbane and the Gold Coast. a few quick updates now on the last 24 hours in both Gaza and in Ukraine. Firstly, the conflict in Gaza has been described as a war of extermination. Those words used by the head of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, in his first interview since the war began. The Hamas-run health ministry in Gaza says at least 241 people have been killed in the territory during the past 24 hours. And earlier, Israel's defence minister, Yoav Gallant, warned a multi-arena war was developing as tensions increase with Iran. Elsewhere, Ukraine says it shot down 32 out of 46 Russian attack drones overnight. It comes after being what's described as an important victory for President Zelensky as Ukraine destroyed a Russian warship after deploying British long-range missiles. The strike on the vessel in Crimea is seen as a significant moment in the two-year war. It's being claimed that 20% of Putin's Black Sea fleet has been destroyed. It's the time of year where we often take stock and look back at the past 12 months. And this week, we'll hear from some of the Times correspondents around the world on the stories that stuck with them. With us now on The World in 10 is the Times World Affairs editor, Catherine Philp. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Stuart. In a moment, we'll come to Gaza. It's a difficult story to avoid when we're discussing events of 2023. But around the middle of the year, we saw another spike in violence in the Palestinian West Bank. Israel's military entered the Janine refugee camp. And Catherine, you met with some of the residents of that camp. What was it like meeting the people in Janine? Um, it was great. I, I hadn't been to uh, the West Bank for a long time, and I had a sense sort of watching things unfold for, from afar that we were re- reaching something of a turning point. And it, it was fascinating because I I got to see how a younger generation were being radicalised uh, because they've grown up essentially with no peace process. But they weren't, they, they were just taking 
on themselves to to launch terrorist attacks in the in the West Bank. Uh, and I thought, gosh, that's pretty dangerous. You've also met Israelis arming themselves following that Hamas raid into Israel, as well as people who were living in kibbutz who were caught up in that initial attack. Yeah. Something that stuck with me is how you've written about the empathy divide and how that could be a barrier to, to lasting peace. It's an idea that was echoed uh, more recently by the British Foreign Minister, Lord Cameron. How do you see the road to peace and do you think it, it's likely in, in the medium term? I think that, you know, understandably, Israel doesn't want to see uh, Hamas re- rewarded in some way for for such a horrific attack. But, I mean, the, the fact is that there really isn't any other viable solution. You know, you can't just flatten Gaza and, and kill Hamas and, and think, you know, make a desert and call it peace. It's not going to work that way. There's got to be some political settlement in the end. But, you know, I don't think support for a two-state solution in Israel itself has ever been lower because, obviously, you're talking about a, a population that's completely traumatised by what's just happened to them. But, um, I, yeah, as I said when I wrote about that empathy Thing. I think for very understandable reasons, both communities are really quite consumed with their own pain at the moment. And that me- means that they're not only not able to listen to each other's arguments, they, c- they don't even ha- essentially have the empathy yet for each other that would be needed for that for, for, for a successful peace process to get underway. So I think, you know, Israelis see their own pain and that of the families and the hostages and the survivors and all the displaced people in Israel, they don't see pictures that we see of the suffering in Gaza and the bloodshed because they're simply not shown in Israeli media. They're not on their TV news. In in, in the Palestinians are much more focused on that. Uh, the Palestinians in the West Bank, obviously, the Palestinians in Gaza can't see beyond beyond their own suffering because they, it's a day to day struggle. So I would say, in the short term, I'm I'm not optimistic whatsoever. Um, uh, because I want to be an optimist, I think that this attack has proved that something's going got to change. I I wouldn't give the Israeli government much odds of survival, and that might be a good thing, because it will need a different government if any progress is to be made. Clearly, working around the world on on conflict journalism in particular, it's 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 sometimes hard to be optimistic. Is there a story this year that has given you some optimism or some joy? The most joyful thing I've cover this year was personally joyful possibly not in um, geopolitical terms but I went to the Arctic uh, and the story is really about the geopolitical scramble for the Arctic um, what was joyful about it um, was that it is just one of the most special places I've been to on the earth and and I got to see the commitment of so many people there to preserving it and doing what they can to um to battle global warming and to preserve this incredibly, uh, you know, this pristine wilderness. Uh, and and in, in, in doing so, I got to see a polar bear. And, um, and uh, you know, I practically stopped watching um, wildlife programmes about the Arctic because there's always a starving polar bear, and that's so depressing. But this polar bear was very fat because it found a beached whale on uh, on the fjord. And so she was fattening up for the winter um, and our boat, you know, came up the fjord and she 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 
sort of menaced us a bit, like, get away, I want to keep my web. And it turned out she was pregnant. So um, so she was about to go into hibernation with all her fat and uh, her pregnancy and uh, will be emerging at some time in the spring with... Um, with new polar bears. So that was a lovely moment, which I shall cherish. And a really lovely moment to end with. Catherine, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Now, if you've come into some money or won the lottery over Christmas, take note. The latest must have a spitfire. And there's been a spike in demand for restoring the historic planes. It's been 87 years since the first Spitfire took to the skies, 83 years since it saw off the Luftwaffe at the Battle of Britain, and 60 years after the death of Beaverbrook. Now manufacturers say they're expanding factories. Tom Whipple is the science editor at The Times, and he explained why aviation enthusiasts are buying the planes. These are airworthy Spitfires. They're as good as the original thing. People fly them. Some people keep them in the way you would a classic car, sort of sitting there to be to be admired. But really, you know, these are designed to go up and go zooming about. And a lot of the engines were made, so they, they they've they've managed to get broadly the original engines, but obviously not not retrieved from the crash sites. They, they will be new original engines. So who exactly are the customers? Well, some are museums, some are commercial pilots. Many, though, are going to just enthusiasts who are living out childhood fantasies. And before we go, the World Darts Championships resumes tonight at the UK's Alexandra Palace, or Ali Pali, as it's known to fans. Excitement building for teenage sensation Luke Littler. At just 16 years old, it's safe to say he's been lighting up the event. He became the youngest player to win a match at the tournament when he defeated Christian Kist in the first round. Let's see how he gets on against Matt Campbell in his next encounter. Thanks for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with the help of the Times of London. See you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.